Welcome to Assuming Command with Bob Horton, brought to you by Upstream ABI, a podcast where we interview thought leaders, innovators, and influencers in all areas of public service. And now, here's Bob. Welcome to the show. We are here with the illustrious Table 5. And for our listeners who have spent any time at the National Fire Academy in Emmitsburg, Maryland, you can appreciate that first day you walk into the room, find yourself a table assignment, look up to the ceiling to grab that table number. And there we were. What was it? About two and a half, three years ago, we wandered into the room with some uh, group of strangers, uh, although that's a bit disingenuous because Brad and I used to work together back in Las Vegas, Uh, came together at the table, became table five, stayed friends ever since. So we're really excited to have on the show uh, Richard Kelly from Oklahoma City, Brad Hannig from Logan, Utah. And Dave Eve from Fulton, New York. Welcome to the show, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We're here uh, during the recording during the COVID 19 crisis of 2020, uh, something that I think we all wish we could forget, but here we are. Uh, We are uh, towards the end of August, early September when we're recording this episode. And I don't know that any of us, when this thing started, felt like we'd still be here talking about it. Uh, the Everything sort of erupted for us there in March 17th, and uh, it's really still been ongoing. We've, we've learned a lot. Uh, Rich, how have the thing, you know, how, how's it going? How's it going in Oklahoma City? Uh, what was your initial reaction, you know, when you first learned that COVID-19 is a, uh, is this pandemic virus? coming into your community what what was going through your mind it's kind of interesting you bring it up bob uh, i still remember what happened that brought it all to fruition uh it was actually a, a, a nba basketball game think about it it's a utah jazz against Oklahoma city thunder i'm sitting here at my house my wife had thrown me a surprise birthday party it's my 50th uh birthday so she throws a surprise party I started getting phone calls. Hey, did you hear they canceled the game? Things blew up from there. Obviously, I find myself downtown uh, with the city manager, mayor. Uh, we were on the phone with NBA staff trying to figure out the situation of what we're going to do to deal with, you know, what was going on in the city. Um, just trying to find, you know, where they can put people as far as, you know, the Utah Jazz and so many things going on. So that was kind of interesting you bring that up of thinking about how it kicked off, how it started. But, you know, when you think about the challenges, where we were then and where we are now, I use the analogy Groundhog Day. Um, It's so crazy that you feel like we're still doing or learning from day one to day 120. It's, uh, It's incredible how you think you've got it. You know, you have an understanding of what you're dealing with. You think you got it wrapped up. Uh, you have a good idea of what's going on, and then boom, it changes. So I, I think uh, it's definitely been a evolving process. Um, but, you know, things are going well in the city. Uh, we've had challenges. Um, at one time, we had 110 firefighters in quarantine, um, and now we're down to six. So obviously moving in a positive direction. But we know 
it's an ebb and flow process. Um, I don't think uh, when you think twenty twenty hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I'm ready to get past twenty twenty, so we can see what hindsight is. But um, we have to say in the fire service, we have grown, we've matured, and we've learned. And uh, you know, there's a lot of things we've learned in the process. But you know, I just kind of wanted to reflect that of when it all kicked off for us. It was interesting. You know, I see. Uh, Brad there from Utah and thinking about the Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder, where it all started. And it was, uh, you know, crazy when they kicked off back into the NBA. I remember the first team we played, Utah Jazz. So, so many things are going and evolving and learning. But um, so it's a crazy process, but we're all learning and getting better, I believe, as a fire service and as a response community. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, we all came together at the National Fire Academy when we were brand new uh, executives, brand new fire chiefs in our in our respective organizations, learning about the, some of the tips and tricks of the trade. And and here we were thrust into something nobody nobody that's living in the executive position has sort of navigated the pandemic of this proportions before. So um, you're right, always always learning. Uh, a little perspective, Rich. How many firefighters do you oversee? We have 999 uniform positions. Of course, that was pre-COVID. Uh, Post-COVID, we're at 978. So we're, we're dealing with some challenges that everyone is of uh, reduction in force. Um, and, you know, I think we'll get back. Uh, we actually froze the positions. We didn't actually eliminate them. But we're at 999 uniform positions. We have right at 1,037 total with full staff. Um, and that's, you know, uniform and civilian positions. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, and Brad, share a little bit about that experience uh, from your perspective. We manage, and, and Dave, too, uh, prior to your retirement uh, there in New York, we manage what most would sort of describe more of a medium sized fire department, albeit it's small in, in comparison to others. Uh, that, but what's the experience going on for you uh, when you first realize? Uh, you know, travel's getting shut down. This is a much larger event than what we experienced, like, with Ebola. So, you know, it's interesting. As he, he talked about the basketball game, I had just been at the jazz game um, a week before um, here in, in Utah prior to the game that was, you know, canceled in Oklahoma City. Just a, I think it was just a week or two later, I believe. Um, you know, different perspective is I'm a smaller department. We have um, 60, 67 full-time staff um, and 12 part-time positions. We're not at full capacity right now, but we're, we're really small compared to, to Rich's department. But, you know, it, it creates a different dynamic for us in the sense of when we do have a crew um, go down, it's, it's more detrimental to our response. And so that was, you know, one of the first concerns is what happens if we have a crew get infected. And, uh, you know, we had a few scary or what we believed were potential or we thought we had some, you know, uh, uh, one that had potentially contaminated many people within our department early on. So we, you know, we, we, we started to be a little bit proactive. We created an incident action plan and, um, you know, limited visitors, all the things that most departments did. I felt like we were being proactive very early as segregating administration and, and station and intermingle between station and station as best we could. It's not always as easy when you're, you know, when you got a small department of, 
you know, really 12 to 16 people on per day. So, you know, different challenges for us, but same, we have a university here. Um, you know, we, they closed the university down and everybody went home and now they just reopened it again for a new year. And they have quarantined 400 students yesterday um, because of they've been testing the sewer wastewater treatment sewer system and, and have an elevated COVID reading. And so they were, you know, very, I guess, I, how you put a proactive in the sense of they've quarantined four, four freshman dor- dorm halls um, just yesterday and began testing wow. them. So, um, so that they can stay out of the curve, I guess the new curve. Right. Right now. And now Dave, you retired from Fulton. It was the end of 2019 uh, and uh, but still very active in the fire service in a in a training uh, capacity uh, as an instructor. And so I imagine the the impact that COVID has in the industry up in the state of New York. Uh, share a little bit of your perspective as a training uh, specialist, as an instructor on what that impact has looked like for you. Yeah, like like Rich and Brad said, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And secondly, because I retired in December on the 29th, I've been accused of actually creating COVID and making this happen with the person that took my job as chief when I retired. <laughs> but I, I will say it was good timing. Um, but yeah, at state level, uh, working for state fire now as a state fire instructor, as well as uh, being part of their team for uh, the recruit uh, firefighter training program that we have, I was actually teaching a class in a small city up near the Canadian border in New York State uh, mid-February. And it was just at that point when New York's uh, state fire staff really started buzzing about this COVID-19 and it really hadn't reached here yet. However, the talk was that it was coming and that it was going to be inevitable. And what it, what it really did was it forced uh, state fire in New York state at state level to look at uh, really some uh, deficiencies that you have, you know I mean? Everything from how are we going to run a recruit uh, firefighter training program now uh, because we can't do it in person uh, to not being prepared to have some kind of platform to teach students on remotely and virtually and, uh, you know, again, even right down to technology, do we have instructors that can use it and what do we have to learn and what's our, our slope here for learning? And it was a pretty steep one. So, you know, just I'm sure like most of your states, uh, training came to a halt f- for a while. Um, the recruit program that was actually in uh, progress when this all started uh, got bounced out midstream. Um, so we, we had to send them back to their departments and we had to, you know, um, they had to overcome the challenges of, you know, we've got a half trained firefighter here and now they're back with us. We've got to kind of figure out how to do that. So I think, you know, obviously COVID has changed the world. It's changed the way we work. It's changed the way we think it's changed the way we meet. I mean, here we sit uh, in, in a zoom meeting and honestly uh, when I retired, I didn't know what zoom was. So um and it's not just the fire service. I mean, I have a neighbor who's, he's an executive with a bank and he spent five out of five days a week on an airplane and he hasn't been on an airplane since mother's day right. and he's running his business and his company just fine. So right. again, 
Big changes, uh, and I'm looking forward tonight to, to hearing some ideas and how things are going. And, and even though I'm retired, I'm still involved with the fire service and still very uh, interested in how we're going to, how this is going to make us better and how we're going to push past it and kind of what the future is going to look like. Yeah. And that's an excellent point. And that, you know, one of the, the keys is that there are some silver linings, not that anybody would have ever wanted something like this to punctuate some of the service delivery, but let's be honest, not everything in the quote unquote past pre COVID was working. Uh, There was a lot of stuff that was broken that way. And when we come out the other side of COVID and I don't think kind of the new normal or normal or, or whatever that looks like, um, whatever we want to call that. But when we come out the other side, there's certainly going to be a different feel and, and not all of it's going to be bad. Uh, I think, you know, you've illustrated just how technology has allowed us to uh, create interaction that otherwise may not have been possible. And, and just even like in terms of inclusion, we can, uh, re- our, some of our training programs can reach a much larger audience for folks that don't have the ability to, to necessarily travel. Uh, we learned quickly with COVID when our schools shut down and, and I, I'm sure you guys in your communities had the same conversations that I was having in mind with school superintendents as you were building out your, your incident command structures on this. We were all cautiously, you know, observing what the schools were going to do, uh, not just from a, a health safety or safety of the student perspective, but the impact to our workforce uh, that was going to occur when the students, uh, if students didn't have school to go to, if somebody was being parents were going to have to stay home, uh, not just in our own organizations, but in, in your guys's lives. And you have families and, you know, uh, and had to navigate being there for your community and being there for your family. Brad, let's kick to you for a second, you know, share a little bit about what that's been like the, the workforce's ability to, to be flexible and pivot. And, you know, particularly in your situation, how, how are your kids doing? How's your family doing? How's all that going? Well, from a personal standpoint, I mean, I think that that was a challenge for my kids to be, um, you know, at home every day, um, learning. Cause I think that, you know, as you talk about the advantages of technology, there's also limitations, right? The limitations of human interaction. I think kids as they develop need that human interaction, they need that social, um, you know, social aspect. And I feel like that me personally, I feel like I need it too. So it is, it has hampered some, you know, at least initially it hampered some of those, those abilities to, you know, um, to socialize. And I think the kids suffered a little bit because of that, um, initially and, and, you know, personally we have some, you know, I have a daughter that has great anxiety and, and so it was a little bit of a, a, a learning curve for her steep learning curve to try to navigate through some of those, um, differences. Um, on the other side, I think that as far as, you know, workplace, um, you know, we fairly business as usual. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever worked remotely. I, I, we have had some of our employees work remotely at times just out of convenience and necessity, but, um, not as much as maybe more, some organizations had the city was more remote than the fire service because we're a limited number. We, we were essential service. Therefore we were here and I, I didn't, I didn't hear a lot of difficulty 
with families being able to get to work. Um, but there was some challenges with some um, dual income families. This isn't um, Utah isn't the highest paid um, fire service in the country. Therefore, you know, some, a lot of spouses worked um, and, and a lot of them, you know, got laid off or, or, you know, their, their work environment changed. So those dynamics did create some challenges for some of our individuals, which elevates stress, um, increase work stress, increase home and home stress, family stress. So I think that we all kind of felt that over time, especially as we have, we've endured this long period of time of not having really any relief other than we, some of it's turned to some normalcy. Things are open. Some people are more working now. Schools are back in session. So there's a little normalcy there, but still it's different. And I think there was a, a little bit of a, as again, steep learning curve, um, figuring it out. And you said schools are back as right now in Utah. Yeah. Schools are back. Um, for the most part, there are some, you know, some in the Valley are five days a week. They're all back to normal. Uh, sports activities are back and, but there's, you know, masks are mandatory at school. Um, there are some split sessions in some of the schools where they're doing half a day, half group, you know, half of the school goes A and B days kind of thing. Um, so there are a lot of varying depending on the school district, but yeah, we are back to, to some form of, I guess, a new normal is the way to say that. Right. Right. Now, Rich, with uh, over, you know, a thousand 30 plus uh, employees, I, I'm sure that it came across your desk, some concerns about how are we going to continue to provide support for the fire department, for the city, for the community, for families. I, I, I can only imagine what that was like from your seat. Uh, share with us one or two, you know, sort of uh, new new processes that maybe you put into play into either in your response or somewhere in your organization, something that you did in terms of trying to manage the, the COVID crisis, but still providing service to your community. Uh, and particularly something that maybe caught your attention is like, yeah, this is cool. I, I, I think this needs to stick. Great question, Bob. You know, there's uh, when you think about things that we put in place that need to stick. It, you know, I look at what we're doing right here. Um, we we talked in, and that being Zoom or any type of distance communication. Um, when I first made chief, one of the things I went around the fire stations talked about is you know the lack of communication. We've all been in the fire service, and we know there's challenges. A lot of it's based off our schedule and how we do things and who we relieve, but we all know that communication could be improved in the fire service. I mean, so that was uh, one of the things I really want to focus on. And obviously um, this is something we we're really utilizing a lot and that being, you know, zoom or teams. Uh, we were fortunate about a year ago when they really rolled out the Microsoft 365 with the city. Um, they were just wanting to roll it out to a select group. We were very, very intentional saying we want it for every member of our department. Everybody's got to be involved. And we really didn't know exactly what that would look like. We just knew we needed it to where we could do a lot of work on our MDCs, our mobile uh, computer terminals. And so we focused on that. Well, then it came out, and then we started focusing on teams. So we had rolled rolled teams out prior to the pandemic. So we were fortunate we were ahead of that, utilizing it. 
And whenever the pandemic hit, it was a natural move right into this of utilizing teams and stream and so many different things. So we were fortunate that we were ahead of that process. And I can tell you that's something that's not going away. Now, how we utilize that, we need to be very intentional. I think if we put our eggs all in one basket, you know, we're going to fail in that area. But for 30 days straight, we met every day at 1 o'clock with our department. Um, To be able to provide that type of communication prior to the pandemic, it would have never happened. And although we wanted to do it, the pandemic forced us to actually do it. You know, because every time we kept – think, well, it won't work because of this, or here's the challenges. We kept talking about it. We were utilizing it at small levels, but this forced us to roll it out. We actually did educational pieces to family. So we had nights that we brought entire family in where they could ask questions. We brought doctors. We brought epidemiologists. And we were able to put them right up there and answer questions and talk to our firefighters and we did it easy. You know, it was an easy process. You know, they, you know, we brought in a, a, a doctor from Houston because he was friends with one of our battalion chiefs and he didn't have to fly in. He just jumped on, you know, the, the internet and boom, he was providing a 20 minute educational piece. It was phenomenal. Our people were informed. They asked questions to a professional. So those are the type of things that we've learned that it worked way better than I ever imagined And we have to embrace that. Um, We also learned a negative side in that was we did 30 days of providing educational information to our personnel. Well, what we didn't realize in that 30 days, our battalion chiefs who are our mouthpiece that are really good about disseminating information stepped back and wasn't engaging their officers because we shut down the fire stations. We said you can't go out and, and, and do things. So we didn't really catch it. I'm glad I have a great command staff in the middle of it. Our deputy chief was like, something's not engaging here. And he realized his battalion chiefs, because it was coming from the top down, they weren't engaging. It wasn't they weren't doing their job. They just, the information was being disseminated. They didn't want to get in the way of the process. Well, we need them for the stopgap to assure things are happening. So, in that entirety of what we learned was distance learning works. you got to have checks and balances in it. Uh, the communication piece is incredible. You can do so much with it, and this is going to stick for us. I know it will. We utilize it. I had a command staff meeting today with the entire department from where we provided information from every division and, and work sections within my command staff. So it works. It's a great way for our employees to hear from the top, to hear from everybody without having to go out every day to the station to provide that information. I don't think we want to lose touch with that. We still need that personal touch, but to be able to disseminate information at a drop of a hat is incredible for them to actually see our face, to see our expressions. We also utilize the Q and a feature. You have to be careful with it, but for them to ask a question to the fire chief, to the deputy chief, that's incredible because they hear information. And there was many times, I'll tell you, we didn't have the answer. Uh, and that was hard at first because we all think as leaders that you got to have an answer to everything. And what we learned, the vulnerability in that actually made our people accept it more and see the human, human side of us and realize that we're going to tell you if we don't know the answer. But what we challenged ourselves was if we didn't know the answer, we found the answer. 
or we gave them information. So we didn't just sit back and, oh, we don't know the answer to that and going down the road. We would find that information. And they really helped us in that develop our plan because the questions and the areas they challenged us on, we went and gathered the information and were able to provide a plan through that process. So we had a thousand employees working together instead of 10 or 12 in your, in your incident command uh, staff or in your, you know, we, we set up our incident support team in, in the incident support team. So it was incredible how we were able to really force multiply by utilizing technology. Sure. And were employees that were off shift able to join in? Yeah, they were. And we all know that we get worried in those processes because you got someone that's, you know, want to turn in an overtime card down the road. Right. We make it very clear. You're not required to do any day off, right. but you're more than welcome to sign in. And they do it all the time. They'd sign in on their phone. I had many of our employees say that their wives or significant others would sit down with them or husbands and sit down and listen to the podcast with them. So, it's a, you know, it's great for them to actually maybe kind of get to know some of the command staff they didn't know. Um, and I'll tell you, there were some – we had some unprofessional times that people would ask questions that were unprofessional, you know, that shouldn't have been asked. And they got to where they would get on anonymous, anonymously sometimes and ask questions. And, you know, we just had to work through that. I mean, we, you know, your gut instinct is to turn it off. Um, but the realization of there are challenging questions that we may not like that we need to be able to answer or be held to. So it was a great process and we've learned that. I believe that'll stick though. I think it's a great process. That's great. I think those challenging and maybe unprofessional questions are just unique to your fire department. I'm not sure that would happen anywhere else. Um, and we could probably do an entire podcast just talking about communication and the fire service. So maybe we'll put a pin in that and we'll come back and, and get at that. Dave, let me, let me turn it over to you. The, uh, you know, from a training perspective, you're thinking about new folks entering into the workforce, incumbent training, because uh, it's not, you know, it's not just going to work to say, uh, we'll wait till the virus passes and then we'll just restart and, and keep going like that, that you've already got too much load in terms of trying to get people brought up to speed. You know, what, what adjustments have you made uh, uh, that related to COVID and, you know, what do you see sticking in your world? Well, first of all, Rich, I think if we get you tweeting, everybody would know what was on your mind immediately. Right. <laughs> Limited to like 140 characters, though. Exactly right. Uh, you know, Bob, 30 years in the fire service, and I've always been a big uh, proponent or acceptance that the fire service is generally reactive to everything. Right? I mean, it's why we have NFPA. If something bad happens, we react to it. We create a standard. We create a policy. We create a procedure. And I think COVID is going to be no different. I mean, you think back to the 80s. When, when we didn't know much about HIV and AIDS and the amount of change that came about because of that. Now, whether you want to look at it from the you know, positive side or the negative side, there was quite a long time there where people, the PPE use, right, and our training, we stepped it up. It, it was ramped up and it, it kind of faded away because, again, we're talking fire service and maybe some complacency. As far as state training goes, I think a lot of positives have come out of this. Um, you know, to piggyback on what Rich said, I think, you know, obviously the ability to communicate, not only communicate, but to teach, uh, especially new firefighters or new officers, 
uh, you know, this is the fire service and the education shouldn't really ever stop. Right. Um, it, it, it shouldn't stop. Even COVID doesn't stop education. So we got to adapt and overcome just like we do every day of the week. And, and so that's what's happened, but what it's really done is it, it, it's made us look at what are our deficiencies in, you know, when you can bring uh, 72 students into a classroom and you can do death by PowerPoint in person. And that's how we've always done it for, 15 years. Well, COVID kind of put a wrench in that. And now that we've got to get 72 students in virtual classrooms in their own stations with technology that works, internet that works, um, instructors that know how to use the technology, internet on the instructor's end that's work, you know, that works. Uh, there's a lot of challenges to that. And, you know, in New York State, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a small part of of what happened there as far as our planning and how we were going to deliver education and new recruits. But it really was a fluid process and it was very, very well thought out. And now we have a plan. I mean, now there's an alternative to, to in-person classroom. Now we all know you can't teach firefighters without getting hands on things. Uh, and, the, and therefore you have to kick some things back to their home departments in the meantime. What I think this has done is it's given us a good alternative now that, and, and by the way, in New York State, the, the newest recruit class is in session. They are in person. It has completely changed the way the academy has set, is set up. Um, everyone used to dine at a circular table with eight chairs. Now the dining room, those t- circular tables are gone, and there's individual tables. There's precautions set in place. There's check-in methods now with temperature taking et cetera, et cetera. So not only has it changed the way we instruct, it's physically changed the way the students sit and and interact with each other. And as far as, um, you know, the medical evaluations, it's stepped that up as well. So, and, and again, I think, you know, I'm retired now, but still being involved at the instructor level, I think we're going to see a heightened importance put on PPE and getting back to basics, as we say, right. Making sure you got your gloves, your goggles, your shield on, making sure you're treating every patient as if they could be infected and, and taking care of each other in the firehouse, because if you take care of each other, obviously that nobody wants to bring anything home to their family. So I think, again, another positive, uh, people are going to step that up. And, and the other thing uh, quickly is that if, if you didn't have an appropriate amount of PPE in, in reserve in your fire stations, I bet you do now. Right. I mean, I saw that here in the Northeast quite a bit. That was the theme was that, man, we can't get, uh, we're, we're running short on goggles. We can't get gloves. Where are we going to get masks from? Um, again, I think if you go back in time and you look at the last few uh, pseudo pandemics with, you know, SARS and Ebola and whatnot, it, it heightens that up and you get your, you, you got to get your stash together so that you're prepared. And, and I think in, in a lot of the cases, a lot of departments, at least around me, I know that people weren't prepared, you know, they didn't have the, the cash of, uh, of equipment. Uh, you're absolutely right, Dave. There's a lot of things that are uh, going to, uh, we're going to be thinking about in greater detail uh, going on in the future. And, you know, we will be better prepared. One other thing I, I've 
found to be interesting and I, and Brad share with, if you've had a similar experience, but the, the, I, I would call it sort of the interdisciplinary nature of the response to this, I think has been nothing short of uh, really fantastic. Uh, we, we've made connections across our communities with partners that we haven't always uh, necessarily interacted with on a regular basis. And I mean, including some of our public health officials, um, they're managing a different type of issue in our communities every day, and they don't necessarily have direct access to EMS or what EMS does. And uh, I, this is this pandemic has allowed uh, or has afforded for us to bring together a lot of different players in community response or folks that are just wanting to do good things for the community uh, to try to help solve the, the solution. Uh, did you have that experience out there in Logan? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that we found some of our shortfalls, honestly. I mean, I think that, um, you know, from a prepared standpoint, you know, there's a lot of two-year supply up here, and I think that we we did a good job in prior, not necessarily pandemics, but prior um, type like Ebola and H1N1, some of those other um, past um, diseases we prepared the, the former chiefs prepared really well. So we had a good stockpile of the majority of things we needed. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, working with our health district, um, that is, you know, that's been a little bit of a, you know, a challenge because they're not necessarily operationally minded in, in per se, right. They're staffed for, for an operational, um, you know, pandemic like we were dealing with. So, you know, we had to navigate through a little bit of that challenge because of them and us trying to just communicate better and communicate with the university and emergency managers and all that dynamic. I think it, this, this has been a, a good exercise in what we didn't do well and how we can improve those relationships and set a better foundation for the future. Um, because, you know, I, I think this is, I hate to say it, um, maybe the beginning of more of this type of reaction toward these type of diseases where in the past that was never the case. I, I agree. And I, and I do, and I worry about, uh, you know, second wave, you just, you just shared about um, the experience your university is having. We're watching this across the country as some universities have chosen to go back. Some are are in a, a virtual environment and kind of everybody's waiting to see what everyone else's experience is and trying to learn from that. And and even if it's not a second wave of covid, uh, you know, the the flu mimic is going to certainly put people on on notice uh for who knows, you know, for who knows how long. And like I said, it's uh, August, almost September. Uh, we, we don't know about the vaccine. Um, so we've had to normalize a lot of what our, our operations have looked like. And sometimes that leads to some degree of complacency. So staying on top of, of our policies that we've put in play, I think will be really important, uh, really important as we go forward. What, you know, Rich, what's, you know, is there something that you feel like is missing in the in the industry that, you know, would help us be better prepared for this going forward? You know, you know if you had all the money in the world, what, you know, what do you think would uh, would help? Uh, 
Man, I, I could probably take a trip to Hawaii. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's uh, – I, th- I think the biggest thing that we really look at from our perspective is that, we, you know, whether it's all the money in the world or all the planning in the world or whatever you do is, you know, we, we kind of are in a shelter. I mean, we kind of live in this bubble of – um, what's good for the fire service. And, you know, we don't, we don't do AL, we don't do transport. So that kind of limits some of your exposure in that public health arena. And uh, I, I think as we go forward, we look at these, um, these pieces. And if you had all the money in the world, I think what we got to do is how do we share the knowledge um, and how do we, how do we take the information? Cause I mean, I think, I think of right now, um, I have the availability. I mean, I'm on a, I'm assigned up through my, my city manager that I'm on a group where it's multiple cities that are talking about just testing. How do we test for, you know, the coronavirus and how do we see this going forward? This concerns I have, we have developed these incredible networks and as we go forward, are they going to just disappear? Is it going to be the needs not there? And, and does that dry up? And then, you know, we really learned a lot through this, but, you know, 10 years from now, are we reinventing the wheel? Because as, as Brad said it there, they did some, you know, some good things for Ebola, the SARS and all those events that happened, but we're reinventing them now. So it's not like they had something in place that worked in and we could go forward. So, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, money would buy that. I mean, you know, I, I would, I don't think it's just one of those things I could put a dollar figure on it and say, spend the money here. But I do think we have to build this network. Like we've done here in the fire service, we have to build a network where, and I, you see it through when you, you're looking for accreditation, the stakeholders in the community and so many things that we're doing, but we need to look at what our stakeholders in public safety response. How do we build this? You know, and I hate it because it's dependent upon your geography and where you're at. Do you have a good relationship with public health? Do you have a mayor that's progressive and looking at things? Or do you have that person that's looking to try to reduce the budget everywhere you go? And so you don't have that. And now you're trying to just survive. Are you fortunate that you are in a locality that has that? And I think as a fire service and as a public response, we've got to come up with a model that, uh, you know, and I hate to say it, you said it earlier, Dave said NFPA. Why do we have NFPA? So we can have a standardized model of what we're trying to achieve. And maybe that's what we look from this because, you know, it's not just going to be, you know, the, you know, this pandemic, there's going to be others to follow. And we've learned so much from that. So I, I don't know if I totally answered your question, but I think at that, how do we take that money and create that environment where there's a knowledge base, you know, after nine 11, you know, there was that knowledge base that you could go to in a lot of different areas where they wanted to disseminate information. But as it, as you get away from 9-11, some of that's gone away. So, you know, distance can really create havoc for a lot of things. So I think if you if I had the money, I would have something in an institute or some area where it created that collaboration for public safety. And the reason I say public safety, it's not just fire, you know, it's public health, it's emergency uh, EMS, it's, it's law enforcement, it's fire, and all of us coming together, it's hospitals. I mean, there's, I've talked with my medical control doctor, 
and others uh, say that there's a hospital down the street and they don't even communicate. There's no plan of how each hospital is doing what they're doing and the other one's doing something totally different. So that's where I would say is that interconnectivity of how we communicate going forward. But again, I know that's a high sky that you get all the money I needed to do it. So I would, I would probably do something there. That, that's right. And I, and I do think you answered the question and you and you touched on something that is so important. And generally speaking, like our governments aren't organized around problem solving. They're organized around operational efficiency. So we're built into these, you know, organizational silos that, that you know, fire department, police department and public works and, you know, these different things about trying to operationally get work done. But when you look at re- what the community needs are. We're not really organized well in trying to provide solutions to problems our our community members are having, and our medical services side of this is starting to identify that a little bit better as we're building out different community paramedic programs or mobile integrated healthcare style programs where you're seeing more of a wraparound service around the needs of of a patient because we've got complicated uh, medical problems or challenges that folks are accessing nine one one for, or they have, or we're dealing with folks who have addiction challenges that are attached to mental health uh, issues or homelessness, and so you're, you know, you're kind of trying to trying to solve uh, a problem with usually only a one one solution or one solutions available. It's just simply not working for our community. And so I really like how you, you framed that better than, than I just did about, you know, how do we build collaboration around other folks who also have a mission to focus on quality of life of the, of the residents and how do we share our knowledge and how do we learn from their knowledge to be better, better, um, you know, servants to our community. So I think you, I think you hit that one really well. Our, you know, our folks, uh, we talked a little bit about the stress and uh, of, of our folks, of the people that are working for us as, as leaders, we worry about that. That keeps us up at night, um, you know, having this show and, and visiting with you guys, I worry about you and how, our, how your stress is, how fire chiefs stress, how executives are, uh, share if, if you're, if you're willing, you know, share with us how, how you're doing through this. Are you, are you taking the opportunities to, to balance yourself? Um, if not, how do we encourage you to do that? And, and if so, what, what, where's your, where's your Zen? Rich start, let me start with you. Mine, mine has always been the same thing, and I, I, I'm very fortunate. Uh, you know, in our fire service, we have a saying, every day is a training day, every day is a physical fitness day. And I really believe it's there for a reason. Um, you know, so mine every day is I get up, you know, and work out. Um, it's important to do that where I have, you know, I can free my mind. I can, you know, work out my, my aggressions and, and go from there. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be straight up honest with you guys. Um, I've, I've seen a therapist. Um, it's not that I'm messed up in the head. Um, I need someone to talk to, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges in this and, uh, you know, I think it's important to be open in that, um, you know, and, and talk to people again, you know, in a professional manner, um, because there's a lot of challenges. If you haven't been, uh, if you haven't had sleepless nights during this pandemic and, 
the 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 let's there's more than that uh, that we've had throughout this the racial injustice and so many things that we've had throughout this and and uh, you know the protests and if you haven't had a sleepless night during this then you don't care about your people um, so yeah I mean I've had to do that so it's not like I'm you know I'm going and, and all the time but I I tell we have a peer support group we have people we can talk to um, I have a chaplain. Um, you know, so I talk to people that I trust, uh, people that I know that give me good counsel and wise counsel. Um, so that's another area. So I think if you just think working out is going to solve it all, yeah, I might hit a heavy bag as much as I, as much as I can, but the reality of it, you need someone, uh, to talk to during this. And I'm not saying you have to go see a specialist. I'm saying you may be talking to your wife or your significant other. You need someone that you can do that because, um, there's just things that are tough that hit you. Um, you know, you get your firefighters that have COVID. You have the challenges of those that don't believe it's real, those that believe we're not doing enough. Um, so there's a lot of uh, challenges in it, a lot of things I don't understand as we were going through. I know we're talking about the COVID, but we all know right in the middle of this, we have George Floyd and the things that happened there. We can't, we can't just turn a blind eye to that. Those are real issues. Those are real things that we're dealing with. And so, you know, I tried to listen to the, the employees I work with, the minority employees I work with. I wanted to learn from them. And so um, there's, I know I talked a lot of, about different things there, but um, for me is working out, uh, finding someone professionally to talk to, whether that be uh, a mentor or a family member or whatever it is, or, uh, you know, um, that's important. And, and then to stay connected. Um, you have to stay connected to your people. And I think that's important through this process is to stay connected because you can get totally disconnected in the process. So that's what I, uh, I've tried to do to stay connected, Bob. I, no, I think that's an excellent answer, and I appreciate you showing your vulnerability. I, too, uh, have a therapist. My, We are going to have him on this show, and we're going to talk to him about some of the different challenges that he uh, sees, or and more importantly, uh, where he sees the industry changing, in, in fact, in folks' willingness to open up. And I, I think our industry has changed, uh, and I do believe that there is a greater accepting to say, and look, there, there's a balance between physical health and mental health, uh, and we need to learn this earlier, you know, in our in our career. And, and Dave, am I, am I close in terms of the curriculum and, and in terms of what's being taught to new folks in the industry? Are, are, we, are we getting the message out? Yeah. And if you're not, you need to, right? I mean, it needs to be part of the curriculum, whether you want to call it the new curriculum or, or the new way of thinking. But I, I agree with Rich. I mean, before COVID, if you're, if you're a leader in the fire service, whether you're a chief, a captain, a BC, whoever you are, you have some type of stress in your life. COVID just added to it, right? I mean, the main thing is, you know, we all know, the health initiatives that are out there. We all know that some firefighters take advantage of them. Some don't. I, in particular, you know, my stress level compared to you three is much lower. I did have two double bogeys today in my round, <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, you, you know, you, you can't forget about the most important things. And that is you have a job to do, you have responsibilities, but you can't bring it home. Right. We need to talk to our families you talk to your therapist and you talk to others. 
even our group here, table five, I mean, we've done this, what, three or four times now where we're, we're just, we get together on here and we chat and it's, how's the family, how are things going? And we all have the understanding that, you know, if you something, something's bothering you or you want to give me a call, absolutely do that. So I think that's a, that's a big thing now. Again, I think we, everybody has their stress. You had it before COVID. It just added to it. So going back to your question, fire service and how are we going to change this? Well, again, uh, when we went to the Academy back in the late eighties, early nineties, maybe rich a little earlier than that. I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> but again, we weren't learning about physical fitness and, and, and mind and body and taking care of those kind of things. And we, there was no studies being done on the physiological effects on firefighters during, before or after a fire, uh, so the, that's the kind of stuff now I think we've all seen incorporated in. I just think that we've got to get back to, you know, the mental piece of, yes, you're going to be dealing with stressful situations. Yes, you're, you're seeing things now that none of us have ever seen. Uh, sadly, if we all have children or grandchildren, this is going to be normal to them, right, where we, it really wasn't our norm. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think it's changing. I think if, if it hasn't changed in your state, your locality – it's going to need to change. And, 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 and that's one other thing I wanted to just jump back there when, when Rich was talking about um, state level stuff here in New York state, uh, if we had all the money in the world, I'd like to see, uh, we have a governor that, you know, he's making decisions, he's doing the best he can, but you can't blanket apply a policy across the state for different localities from New York city to a small city like mine, where there's 11,000 people. Uh, sometimes I think that, that that gets all jumbled up and there's a blanket, whatever it is, ban, lockdown. I think it needs to go down to the localities and maybe look at it that way. Uh, and maybe it will um, when we get done with being able to step back, take a breath and look at how we responded to this and how we're going to make it better for the next time. Excellent. And it sounds like retirement is at least one of the solutions you had to reducing your stress level. And it def- and it sounds like golf is on the list. Are there other things you do, Dave, to help kind of keep your, keep your balance? And yeah, I mean, uh, listen, my, uh, I'm enjoying the kids and my, my kids are older now, but, uh, uh, to actually sit down and enjoy them, you know, it's not just a passing ships in the night where you get home from work, you have quick dinner and they're off to do college work or whatever it is now. And now we're actually, you know, spending some weekends together. Uh, I've been to camp in the Adirondacks more times this year than I have in the last 10 years. So, you know, there are, there, it's, it's been a blessing really for me. There's, there's, there's a takeaway from our retired colleague with a big smile we see on Zoom here is you must prioritize time for yourself. And, and Brad, you and I, we talk on the phone pretty regularly and, and, and we often bring that up in the conversation. You know, have we gotten our, our weekend getaway? You know, every few weeks you got to get one to, to just get, you know, clear your mind and, and appreciate your surroundings and, and just being present with yourself. And one of the things we identified, you know, COVID just made that a challenge just because traveling wasn't there. And we weren't good at, at finding those, uh, 
or maybe I speak for myself, but I think we were, I, I know I wasn't good at sort of finding those opportunities just around the corner. And of course I live in a, in a beautiful area and certainly can, but I kind of felt like getting away further was necessary. And I realized that just going outside the front door sometimes is helpful. Uh, Disneyland was closed for a while. And I know that's one of your, uh, one of your happy places to, to escape. Um, what's, uh, what's been, what's been working for you and you know, what's, uh, what's What's that look like and trying to keep your balance and uh, keeping yourself well during all of this? Well, you know, I heard once that if you don't take the time to be well, you most certainly will take time to be ill. Um, I think that that's the, the, the key takeaway that health and wellness is a um, COVID aside has been a challenge in the fire service. Um, the mental health of our employees, um, we know that suicide rates are, uh, a greater cause of death in the fire service than, than other line of duty deaths. And so we know that's a real issue. We have a really um, progressive peer support. We have a good EAP. The city actually just um, doubled the price to go to a different vendor so that we could have better EAP program for our public safety. Um, so, you know, I know that's a real issue and, and I think we're no different. Um, we sometimes, think that it doesn't affect us, but I think as I've um, went up through the ranks, I think it becomes more difficult the higher you go. You, you have more worries. You worry about everyone instead of just yourself or your crew. And so as your, as your um, you know, numbers grow, so does your, so does your worry. Uh, I'm with Rich, whether I like it or not, at 4.30 in the morning, I hate it, but I get up every morning and work out because that gives me at least a start of one accomplishment um, as much as I disliked it. I think that's, you know, part of the mental toughness that helps us be able to balance some of the day and some of the challenges because there, there are many in this role. And um, I'm thankful for good friends such as you guys yourself. And, and I get, you get a call from me every once in a while saying, Hey, just can you be there to listen and, and commiserate as we talk about sometimes about just being able to share um, what we're experiencing so that we can offload some of that um, burden that we may carry every day um, because of what we do. And, and so, you know, I, I know this is a, a continual challenge. It has been a little more difficult as you say that, you know, the getaways that, you know, I was, I was pretty regular, you know, every other month I was going on a, a at least a few day trip and a, a week gave away every quarter just to try to get your Zen back. And when COVID hit, it just halted all those. So trying to find alternatives. Um, I think it's important to, you know, in all facets, maybe in some ways it's opened up some communication with my spouse that wasn't there in the past. Um, some dialogue with other friends and, you know, I appreciate the fact that, that, um, you know, you guys have shared some of that vulnerability of, you know, asking for help because maybe that's something I should have, you know, should and need to do um, more as well. No, and I appreciate you sharing that. And for our listeners that are that are new fire chiefs, uh, aspiring fire chiefs, you know, make sure you're making that 
those notes and you've heard it a thousand times if you've been in the fire service at all uh, or really any any government service that network is so critical uh there you're going to be wearing a lot of stress uh you know internally on the different uh, challenges that the position brings and there's and guaranteed someone else is going through the same thing you are um and anybody anytime reach out and share your thoughts uh, uh mentors are going to have great advice for you but as as the table five is mentioned it's very important that you look out for yourself you certainly can't do anything for anybody else if you're not in uh in a good in a good space and of course we we say that to everybody else right we know that but sometimes we forget to look in the mirror and apply it to ourselves so i'm grateful that you all have something that you're doing i am doing similar you know similar things a commitment to prioritizing sleep a commitment to prioritizing uh uh, physical fitness, uh, reading, and then just being aware, you know, just going in and, and doing what I what are called kind of noticing exercises and being outside and, and noticing things that, that I otherwise wouldn't if my mind was clouded with thoughts. Um, and I know that that is uh, absolutely helpful. Uh, well, our show has certainly turned to be a little heavier than I had expected. I, you know, as we were uh, planning for today, I, I didn't want to be in the COVID zone the entire time. I wanted to talk about some other topics, but much like our, our lives, like we, we just aren't quite, you know, able to get past it. There's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns as it relates to this virus. So we will be sure to have you all back on the show so we can talk about some other uh, industry related topics that um you know where do we go from here in terms of the future of the fire service i know you guys have a lot of thoughts that we'd like to share with our listeners but before we go i do have one other question that i want to pose to each of you kind of in a lightning round uh to to take a, a little of the heaviness away from the ending of this conversation uh what is your what is your passion project uh, what is it that you're working on it could be personal could be professional uh, that just, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're really excited to, to plug away at that. Dave, let's go to you first. Yeah. So oddly, uh, I've, I've been wanting to build a garage for as long as I've owned my house, which is 20 years. So first thing I did when I retired was drew the plans up and oddly enough, the last three months I've gotten up every morning and played pseudo construction guy. (laughs) So I actually have created myself quite a space out there where I store my toys, my boat, my golf cart. And, uh, it's been therapeutic, really. I mean, I get up, I, I literally would get up every morning, would have, would do a workout, have breakfast, and then would go strap on my tool belt. So it's, uh, it makes you realize it, it, when you're working alone most of the time that, you know, how much you do miss having compadres and core hearts and, mm-hmm. and people in the next office over just to, you know, Hey, can you come over and give me a hand? So there's been some challenges and uh, I found myself in some pretty peculiar situations out there, but uh, really I, I'm, I'm proud of what's out there and it's really been my therapy for the last three or four months. So it's it's an odd answer to your question, but that's really what what my uh, passion project has been. Oh, that's awesome! That that was exactly the answer to the question. Now, did you say dual workouts or do a workout? It, it might be my accent. Uh, do a workout? Oh, okay. Yeah. I was really impressed for a second there. I I thought I I thought I heard dual acts uh, dual workouts. I'm like, good for you. Way to stack them on. I, I yeah. When I work out, I I, I run and we work out and obviously it's been tough. I don't know if the gyms in your area are open, but they're not open here. 
uh, up until recently they've been given the okay, but our gym actually closed. So it's been, it's been tough to get that workout in in the morning and actually, you know, get to the level where you want to be. But that's one of the things I said when I retired is I'm, if I ever got a phone call and they said, Hey chief, can you come back? And, and, you know, we, we always used to do donning drills and we would time each other. And, and that was the big, like, you know, competition in the firehouse. I've been working out. So when I get that phone call, I want to go back and run some circles around some of these new guys. Oh, so yeah. Way my- to go. Way to go. I hit one donning drill and I throw out my back and I'm sitting on ice for about two weeks. Brad, <laughs> passion project, go. Oh, man. Um, I, see, mine isn't as glamorous as building the garage. I, I did buy a side-by-side to take out a little stress. So that's kind of been, uh, you know, a fun little hobby um, as a recent. But, you know, when you said passion project, I was trying to think, man, what am I working on in the fire service that I need to that, that I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, I, we, we recently just purchased three engines, which was a, which was a, a goal that we, um, which was a rarity for us, a small department to be able to do. I'm in the process of trying to rebuild a 50 year old fire station. Um, I'm involved in the legislature as far as making an EMS an essential service in the state of Utah, which it's, you would think it is an essential service, but it isn't, um, on the books as such. And so therefore we're trying to change that. So I've been involved passionately about trying to accomplish some of these big goals, um, for the department and for our community, um, and for our state. Um, but you know, not as fun as probably building the garage. I had those days and I'm too old for that now. That's awesome. And it was your leadership that brought those resources to your community. And so they, they should be proud of you as well. That's all really exciting stuff. Rich, uh, passion project. Well, I'm kind of probably on the boring side as well. I was thinking what Dave was talking about. I'm thinking my passion project now is retirement. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, my, my passion project is, is not changed from when I came on the fire department, everyone, you know, always asked me, was your goal to be the fire chief? And I said, I had one simple goal when I came on the fire department, that's to get better every day. And I know that sounds maybe kind of hokey or someone might think, oh, you know, come on, there's got to be something bigger. It's not. Um, so my passion project is every day to get better. So when I get up on my way to, to work every day, I listen to my Bible first, and then I plug in uh, an audio book. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up right now, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Um, so I challenge myself all the time to read, learn, listen, to try to get better. Um, in that process, my entire goal of that is to equip someone to take my place. Uh, I've started laying out to everyone when my retirement is. Um, I'm telling people my goal is to retire May of 2027, and it's a ways out. But I want to, and I know leaders are different, and some people look at it from a different perspective, but I know when I want to leave, and I need to prepare people to step into that role. And if someone is looking to that, they have a timeline to look at. Um, So for me, my passion project is to get better every day, and as I'm doing that, to equip people to take my place. That's it, simple when you look at it from, from that perspective. 
Well, I thought you were breaking the news about retirement right now. We were excited. We were here on the uh, on the show, but it sounds like uh, 2027 is is the date. So mark that mark that down in your calendar. That's what I'm looking. What I'm looking for. Now, Dave keeps talking. It might move up, but right now that's when it's set up. <laughs> available, Rich. I just checked my calendar. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And hey, hey, when you're when you're done with that that book in the morning, make sure you you like and you subscribe to the Assuming Command podcast and and go ahead and get your daily dose there uh well it won't be a daily show get your monthly dose of uh, assuming command guys i really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today sharing your perspectives and experience with our listeners it's incredibly valuable regardless the size of your organization regardless the geography in the united states that you live uh, we're all facing similar challenges and have uh, you know these great ambitions to do great things for our community Uh, that's why we identified you to be on the show and table five living strong thanks for being here thanks for having us bob Thanks for having us, Bob. It's good to see everybody. You guys stay safe. Same. Appreciate the opportunity, Bob. You have been listening to Assuming Command with Bob Horton. This podcast is brought to you by Upstream ABI, your advisor on applying behavioral insights to improve your organization's impact. Visit us at www.upstreamabi.com for more details on how we can help you.